Father. God, you overwhelm us, Lord, as you inhabit the praises of your people. God, we can feel your presence. We can just feel how close you are to us. And Lord, what a good feeling that is. But we don't want to base everything in our lives on feelings. Lord, we want to base our lives on truth. And God, I, I pray that, that our time of worship, God, is not only just, just based in the fact that, that, that we can draw close to you, but it's also based in the truth of who you are. And the only way that we can know more about who you are is looking at your word and seeing who you are. You have told us who you are. We have seen the truth of who you are, God, through your word. The character of God is revealed in this book that we hold in our hands. So, Lord, I pray that we recognize the power of that. I pray that right now we recognize the gravity of what we are about to encounter, which is the truth of God. That we not only worship you in spirit, but we worship you in truth. And right now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you speak to your people. God, I pray that truth is poured out into their lives and into their hearts. And God, may they be forever changed by it. God, your word has the power to change us. It has the power to open us up and reveal to us the things that in, are inside of us that do not bring glory to you. God, the, the way that we can allow ourselves to be changed by the Holy Spirit, the way we can just tune into your voice. Lord, and I, I just pray right now that people's lives are changed. Changed by your word. God, this is a glorious opportunity that we have. God, to hear from you. So, Father, speak and may we listen. Let he who has ears, let him hear. Right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Sometimes uh, when I go to bring God's word, I feel like I need to get a run and start. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I'm I mean, I, I'm poised to go, you know, I'm just like, all right, let's go. I don't know where this is going necessarily. I know what God has shown me, and I know the truth that God has kind of revealed to me, and I'm going to do my best to try to share that with you, but I, I just feel like I'm in the starting blocks, you know, and I'm like ready to go, and I'm like, I don't even know where we're going, but we're going to see, we're going to see what, what God challenges your heart with. The beautiful thing about God's Word is, is that, that I don't necessarily know what He's going to do with it. I don't usually have a clue, all right? So, uh, I, I mean, like, I will have in my mind what I think may be the worst sermon I've ever preached in the history of humanity. Like, nobody could have preached a worse sermon than what Kenny did today. Man, it was terrible. And I will have somebody come up to me inevitably and go, man, that is the best thing I've ever heard. And I go, well, I don't have a clue what a good sermon sounds like then, apparently. I don't, I don't know what it's... And I'll, I will have a joke ready to go. You know what I mean? Like, I've been preparing a joke for two weeks to unleash on you guys, and I am expecting you guys to laugh to the point where there are going to be tears flowing down. I expect people to be rolling around the aisles laughing so hard at this joke, and I will deliver this joke that I've prepared for so long, and there will be crickets. Like, I won't be able to, like, the, even the crickets aren't even cricketing. You know what I mean? Like, they're just quiet, you know? And it's just dead silence. I'm like, man, that didn't go exactly how I thought it was going to go. Uh, it's, it's interesting how God's word does that. Uh, I may have a preconceived notion about the way I think things are going to go, and then God just will change it. I've been in the middle of sermons, and God will change the whole direction of a sermon. I've been about to preach a sermon, and God will tell me to preach a different sermon. That's all happened. I mean, it really has. It, it's not to say that you shouldn't prepare for a sermon. You shouldn't prepare to be ready to go. But what you also do is you have to prepare your heart to be able to listen to Jesus. And when Jesus changes things on you, you've got to be tuned into that, right? 
And, and, and I just, I, I think that it doesn't just apply to preachers. I don't believe it just applies to, to, to guys that stand up here on the stage, men and women that stand up here on the stage. I believe that it, it, it applies to every single person, that you've got to be so tuned into the Holy Spirit of God that when he changes your plans, you're ready to go at a moment's notice. You're like in the starting blocks, ready to go when he changes. You know, when it says, be still and know that I am God, that's what it's talking about, Right? That, that, that you're supposed to not just sit on your hands and do nothing and wait on God to do everything. That's not what it means. It means to be poised and ready to go. So that when God says go, you are ready to go. That your heart and your mind is prepared. You are so tuned in to God that you are ready to go at a moment's notice. You, you're like the National Guard, you know what I mean? Like they call, you go, and that's it, you know? And that's the way we're supposed to be as Christians. That's the way we're supposed to be as Christians. You know... How we are to get to that point where we are poised and ready to go. Do you know the biggest component to that? Do you understand what the biggest component in order for us to be poised and ready to go at a moment's notice when God calls is we have to be humble. We have to be humble. We have to recognize that we don't have the answers. We don't have the direction. God has the direction. God has the answers. And we put our faith and our trust in that. So what we say is, all right, God, what you say goes, and I'm going to do what you say. So therefore... At a moment's notice, I am ready to go according to your will and your way and your word. You can only do that if you are humble. If you are full of pride and selfishness, then you will want to go your own way. And you won't relent and you won't respond to God when he calls because you are so consumed with what you want that you cannot hear the voice of God when he's telling you what he wants. We have pride in our lives. You know the, the source of every single sin. The source, the root, the root cause is pride, right? Think about every single sin that you know of. Think about anger, for one, right? You get angry with somebody else, because why? Well, any number of reasons. One of them may be because they ain't like you. You may get angry with somebody because they are like you, you know what I mean? You think about jealousy? Jealousy, what is that rooted in? That's rooted in pride. You're jealous of somebody else because they got something that you want. You're jealous? Any sin that you can think of, any sin that you can possibly think of, you think about what it boils down to, and it really does boil down to pride. Am I right? I have to confess a, uh, a quick sin to you. There is, there's one source of pride in my life that God has revealed to me this morning of all times for me to reveal, have this revealed to me. Um, there's a source of pride in my life that, that I'm, I'm struggling with, y'all. It's this microphone right here. Now, you may think, well, you know, he's struggling with pride because he's a preacher. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying I struggle with pride because God has called me to stand up here and preach his word. That's, that's not at all it. Because I promise you that I, I know a thousand percent that if, if he does not give me the words, then I will stand up here and I will look like a babbling idiot. And I will not be able to say any words at all. So I trust him completely that these words come from him. So that is not necessarily a source for, of pride for me. What is a source of pride is this microphone. And what I mean by this is that, that we have other people within Simple Church that speak on uh, Wednesdays and sometimes on Sundays we have them come and speak. And, and every time I go to get my microphone on Sunday when somebody else has spoken, this microphone is all jank, okay? Like it is all messed up and it drives me crazy every single time. Connie happens to be the worst. I'm going to just call her sin out in front of everybody. For whatever reason, she insists... Hey, no, I got the microphone. You be quiet over there, okay? You had it Wednesday. Shh. Okay, so, so that's why it's all messed up this morning is because Connie had it on Wednesday. So, 
for what she wears it on the wrong side and then it's sticking a foot and a half out from her face like this. And it's almost like if she had another one, she'd have antenna like sticking up like this right here. I mean, at times it's way out here. Sometimes it's up by her eyeball and her eyelashes flick it sometimes. I mean, I'm just like, like what in the world? Why is this so messed up? And I, I get it. I go to put it on and, and the ears are all turned the wrong way. And I'm like, Lord, help me, help me. I got a source of pride with the microphone, don't I, Connie? Yeah, thank you very much. So anyway, um, and, and Keith, I mean, I will say this about Keith. His head is so tiny and his neck is so tiny that he just puts it on the way that I have it. So he didn't really change it. It's just sticking way out here on his head, you know what I mean? So, you know, it, it, he doesn't usually mess it up too much. But Connie, she's kind of a control freak, so she has to, like, adjust it so it's just so on her face and it's still up here. But, you know, she thinks it's all right. But anyway, so... I digress. What was I talking about again? Oh, pride. Yes, I know what I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so, so pride is the source of all sin. Mine happens to be sin of this microphone that's on my face right now. You know, I'm just, I'm just waiting for that day, you know, where, where there's like, I'm, we, we should do like they do in the Broadway plays and have the little dongle thing hanging down right here in front of your face. You ever seen those? You know what I'm talking about? We should get one of those, man. It just hangs right here. I think that would be cool. Anyway, so so pride, I'm sorry, I digress a little bit. That was a squirrel, okay, admittedly. I chase a little bit of a squirrel every once in a while. But it really does boil down to pride. Every single sin, everything that we, we have in our hearts that's not pleasing to God, it really boils down to pride because what we say in our minds, in our hearts when we have pride is we're saying, God, not your will, but my will. We've said this like a million times. My will, not thy will. You know, when God has a plan for your life and he has instructions and things that you're supposed to do and things, a way that you're supposed to walk and you say, no, I'm not going to walk that way. I'm going to walk my own way. Then that's a source of pride, right? If we humble ourselves in such a way that we follow God's will and not our own will, then, then that's how we crush pride. And it's something we're forever going to struggle with. And I, I, I have to tell people this all the time. I'm like, you know, I know that you're struggling with this sin or that sin. Let me, let me put your mind at ease. You will always struggle with the flesh. There will always be a battle that you have to wage war against, against your flesh. It's going to happen until you get rid of the flesh. That's just reality, okay? There are going to be things that you do when, when you mess up. And, and sometimes it's in a big way, sometimes it's in a small way. But you're forever going to mess up. But you know what it boils down to? You know what it boils down to? Humbling yourself enough to say that I messed up. You ever known somebody that wouldn't humble themselves enough to say, hey, I, I messed up. I, I did something wrong here. You ever, you ever known somebody like that? that they too good to say, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? Like never willing to say, you know what? I, I think I did make a mistake there. Let me tell you something. I'm going to speak directly to parents here for just a second. The greatest thing you can do in order to be able to teach your kids is you can tell them when you mess up. You can go to them face to face, look them in the eye and say, look, I punished you unfairly. I was unjust in what I did. I overreacted. I got out of line and I did something I shouldn't have. And I want to tell you I'm sorry. I promise you. You will make a huge impact on your children if you will do that, parents. Bosses in the room. Bosses in the room. You got employees, people that report to you. Or maybe you have peers, people at the same level as you. You know what you need to do? There are going to be times when you mess up. And, and if you have never apologized to one of your employees for messing up, then you've got pride in your life. You've got pride in your life. 
There have been times when I had to pull my employees to a side, get them in a room one-on-one and say, look, I messed up in this area and I apologize. And maybe, maybe it was the fact that I just didn't do something I should have. There have been times when I didn't recognize an employee for doing something really wonderful that they did and going out of the way, going the extra mile, and I didn't stop to recognize them for that. And I pulled them aside and said, I apologize to you because I have wronged you. I promise you, you will have employees that will respect you if you do that. And everybody's like, well, if you're their boss and you just got to lay down the law and they got to listen to you. You know, the way they will listen to you is if they respect you. If they respect you. Now, I want you to understand something. There's a difference between being humble and being weak. There's a difference, right? Being weak just means that you just, with everything that comes along, you don't know what to do. And you're like, I'm so afraid. I'm so sorry. I messed up here. I messed up there. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about being weak. I'm talking about being humble. And there's a difference, y'all. There's a difference. As Christians, as Christ followers, we are to be humble. And the only way we can be humble is to recognize that we're going to wage war against pride. And therefore, we need to be conscientious. We need to be proactive about doing things where we acknowledge that we are imperfect, that we are not able to make every single decision the right way 100% of the time. And if you know one thing about Simple Church, you know that we acknowledge that, right? The island of misfit toys, that's what we call ourselves, right? Because we all got problems, we're all jacked up in a thousand different ways. And we're here to acknowledge that and acknowledge the fact that we serve one who is perfect and we worship him who is perfect and we say, God, change us. We're forever going to be messed up, but God, if you'll just continue to, to, to struggle with us, show us what we need to change, we'll continue to take up our cross and follow you in obedience to you. And that's what Simple Church is all about. That's what we want to do here. That's our desire. So we see in the book of Esther, let's get to our, our, our message here a little bit. In the book of Esther, we, we've been, man, we have gone through eight chapters. We're in chapter nine. We're going to do chapter nine and 10. We're going to wrap up Esther today. And some of y'all are like, praise God, I am tired of Esther. I don't know why her name is spelled like that. Um, but, you know, it's just like, I was wondering if somebody was going to catch that. Some of y'all never even looked at her name, did you? <laughs> You're like, I'm tired of Esther, I'm ready to be done with Esther, and then sure enough, here we are today, and we're talking about Esther being wrapped up, and then we'll have Renewal Sunday next Sunday. We're inviting everybody to come, and let's just have a big throwdown party in the name of Jesus Christ, and here we are wrapping up Esther today in chapter 9. What have we seen? We've seen, we've seen a, a king who's pretty prideful, right? Any king of Persia is going to be pretty prideful just by nature, he has this whole law set up, you know, if anybody comes in front of him, he hasn't asked for you, you know, he could have you killed just like that. Esther goes against the grain twice in order to be able to go to the king to ask for him to spare her people, which are the Jews, which he did not know that Esther was a Jew. She kept that hidden from him. And, and we know that, 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 that she, what does she do? Every time she approaches the king, how does she do it? She does it humbly. She doesn't do it with pride, even though there are times when the king is like, Look, whatever you ask for, I'm going to give it to you. Uh, up to half the kingdom, I'm going to give whatever you ask. I'll give it to you. And she doesn't take that as an opportunity to be prideful or to be boastful. She just says, all right, well, I've got a little thing I'm going to ask for, for right here. And then she goes the next time, i got a little thing I'm going to ask for right here. And when the time is right and God has called her to ask for the big stuff, then she is ready because she has been humble and obedient to God. And what do we see? Her uncle Mordecai, who's taking care of her, I believe she probably learned that from Mordecai, who's a humble man. 
He's not prideful or boastful. We saw when, when, when he was put on the back of, uh, of a horse and, and marched around the city and, and old Haman had to like yell, this is what happens when you honor the king. And, you know, like it puts a robe on him and like the dude's being marched around town and, and all this good stuff is happening to Mordecai. He gets off the horse and he goes back to work for the king and goes back and stands guard at the door. And he's like, he's a humble guy. And I believe we see his humility. We see Esther and Mordecai. We see their humility. And then what do we see in this evil dude, Haman? What's his biggest problem? His biggest problem is his pride, right? His pride. that, that Because Mordecai won't bow down to Haman, he's like, we got to do something about these Jewish people. They're causing a ruckus up in here. So we got to get rid of the Jewish people. We certainly got to get rid of that Mordecai guy. Haman's all full of pride and Constantly, every time the king says, well, we need to honor somebody, immediately Haman thinks, well, that must be me. That must be me. So we're going to see, we've seen what happened to, uh, to Haman, right? He got stuck on a pole. They shish the dude, right? Like, that's what happened. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Everybody's like, well, it was so gruesome last week, and you, it's all about blood and guts and everything. Dude, it's in there. I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, I know my illustrations were a little gory last week, but it's real, man. I mean... Here, we, we, got, we got Haman. He didn't, he didn't last very long. And then they, uh, they're still trying to figure out, well, what do we do? There's still this decree that on March the 7th, like, the, the, the Persians can kill the, the Jewish people, the Israelites. They can go and they just take all their stuff and kill them. Like, that's what's going to happen. So we learned about last week how, how um, there, there's, there's this plan to reverse everything in, in a kind of sort of way. They couldn't take the law away, but what they could do is they could make another law such that that, that the Jews could defend themselves, right? So that, and, and we talked about how this is the picture of the gospel, that when we sin against God, we can't undo that, but God can pay the penalty. He can make another preparation to do something to pay the penalty for the sin. And that was kind of the main point of last week, is that you can't undo the sin, but it can be paid for. And God did that through his son, Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful picture that is that we see all throughout the book of Esther we see this, this, this war against pride versus humility. And those that are humble, God gives grace to. Those that are prideful, he opposes, right? We know that God's word teaches that. Why, why, is, it, why is it so important? Why is it so important that we earn, learn, learn the difference between pride and humility? It's because it all boils down to one name, and that is Jesus that is Jesus. If you are prideful, if you are self-righteous, you think that you have the righteousness to obtain what you need in order to be able to get into the kingdom of God. If you have humility, then you recognize that there is nothing good inside of me. There is no way I can obtain the righteousness of God. I have to have somebody that is God to be able to pay that penalty for me. And if I trust and have faith in that person, then I can be made righteous, not because I am righteous, but because he is righteous. And that is the reason why humility is so important. And that is the reason why we see this war against pride versus humility in the book of Esther is because there is a Messiah to come that people need to understand what it means to be humble in order that they might be able to acknowledge their own sin. So in Esther chapter 9, let's, let's start. So on March the 7th, two decrees of the king were put into effect. So there's two decrees. There's one where it says the, the Jews are to be killed. Their stuff's to be taken by the Persians. There's another decree that was issued to kind of say that the, the Jews can defend themselves, right? So they can, they, whoever attacks them, they, they're allowed to defend themselves, right? And we, we saw that, that what happened in Susa is that they, because Mordecai, he's kind of been put second in command, that, that he's like, 
people in Susa are fired up about the Jews can defend themselves, which is really weird because the people in Susa are Persians. So it tells me that they aren't really planning on attacking them so much. I mean, at least there are probably some, but there's a lot of them that are like, man, this is good. They can defend themselves. We're happy for them. It's kind of a weird thing. The tables have turned completely. The dude that was in power that was full of pride, he's gone now. The, the king who is, who is prideful too, he's now taking his shots from Esther in a lot of ways. Esther and Mordecai, they're kind of tag teaming and running the whole kingdom themselves in a roundabout sort of way because the king, every time they ask for something, he's like, okay, what can I do? What can I do to help you? The tables have kind of turned and the prideful ones are being squelched. The ones that are humble are now raised to power and that's what we see in this book. So there are two decrees that have gone out. On that day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but quite to the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the king's providences to attack anyone who tried to harm them. But no one could take a stand against them, for everyone was afraid of them. And all the nobles and the provinces of the highest officers and governors in the royal offices helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. For Mordecai had been promoted to the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces as he became more and more powerful. So this dude has a lot of influence now. And it's obvious to the people that because Mordecai has been blessed and raised to this position of power, that the queen is now a Jewish lady, the second in command is now a Jew, that obviously God is at work. And I believe it's humbled the people of Persia at this point in time. I believe that it's opened their eyes to the power of God. And it says that a lot of them feared the Israelites. Do you know that that, that still goes on? You, you know that, that there, there's, throughout biblical history, there would be times, and we're going to read about one of these times, where God would say to his prophets and to his king, he would say, go into that place and kill everybody. Kill the men, kill the women, kill the children, kill the goats, kill the sheep. Take out everything. And some people are like, well, I've read that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that God would say that. That doesn't change that God said it just because you don't like it. But I want you to understand something. You have to understand the context. You have to understand the context. Why would God tell you to do something like that? Now, I'm not presuming to know the mind of God or why he would set all these things up. All I can do is speculate and guess about why God would choose to do something like that. Let's say that Simple Church, not that we would ever do this, obviously. Let's say that Simple Church decided to go and wage war against Walmart. No, 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 no. We wouldn't wage war against Walmart. Wage war against Target. Okay, so I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Everybody's like, I work at Target. Don't talk about Target. So we decide to wage war against Target, right? And we go in and we take out everybody. I mean, like, we wipe that thing clean. Like, there is nobody alive. Their bodies laying everywhere. I know it's gruesome, okay? But, like, just pretend with me for just a second. I mean, wouldn't that intimidate the people at Walmart? We say, you know what? We didn't like the people at Target. You saw what happened to them. The people at Walmart are going, I don't want them to come up in here. Them, them crazy simple church people, man, they, when they come in, it ain't, it ain't real pretty. It's, it's ugly. They wipe out everything. It ain't good at all. Do you think that there was an intimidation factor that maybe, just maybe, God was using against the other nations and countries that might come against Israel? When they get word, hey, you know what happened to the so-and-sos? They got wiped off the face of the earth, y'all. Well, I don't know what God they serve, but that dude's bad. You know? 
Like, like he, he tough and he don't play. So I don't know if we want to go wage war against the Israelites. I believe in my heart that I believe that the re, one of the reasons that God was doing what he was doing when he would tell people to go in and wipe out an entire group of people was because he was using the psychological aspects of that to intimidate and show other nations that they don't need to come against the Israelites. Now, the nation of Israel today, what's one thing that you know about the nation of Israel? You don't mess with them, right? I like they will shoot first and ask questions later. That's just the way they are. Like, like they got some foe that's over there that might attack them. They'll just send all the aircraft they've got just into their front yard and say, okay, we're going to blow you to bits, and then we'll talk about you know, whatever we need to talk about afterwards. Because you don't mess with Israel. I mean, that's just that's the way they are. If you were going to be intimidated by a country, you would be intimidated by Israel if you lived around them. Now, I know that, that there are other countries that want to wipe them out, and they, they want to take them off the face of the planet. I got that. But Israel, I can tell you that the way that they operate is they are going to go after you. They do not play games. We have to do everything in our power diplomatically a lot of times to say, hey, Israel, chill out for just a minute. Don't go kill everybody. You know why? Because people know not to mess with Israel. People know not to mess with Israel. I believe. I believe that that's exactly what we see throughout God's word. So when you don't necessarily agree with what God has said for people to do, I want you to understand the context. I want you to take a minute and consider what might God be able to be doing in this particular situation. What might he be doing? So Mordecai has become more and more powerful. People are afraid and they're intimidated. It says, so the Jews went ahead on the appointed day and struck down their enemies with the sword. They killed and annihilated their enemies and did as they had pleased with those who hated them. So now I don't want you to misinterpret this. I don't want you to think that they just went out and started wiping people out, okay? they They were told, according to this decree... That they were not to attack anybody that did not attack them. And I believe that they honored that. But what has happened is there are some that came after the Jews and it did not work out well for them. Let's look at what happened. It says, in the fortress of Susa itself, the, the Jews killed 500 men. Now, the, this, is, this is where I'm going to stumble over the names. So I'll go ahead and tell you right now. So y'all love it when I, when I like stumble, stumble over these names. And, and I'm going to go ahead and put your mind at ease. And I'm going to mess all of these up. So... They also killed Parshadatha, Dalphin, Aspatha, Paratha, Adalia, Eraditha, Parmashta, Erasiah, Eradiah, and Vashta. I knew I'd mess that one up. Vashatha, we'll call it that, okay? The ten sons of Haman, of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews. But they did not take any plunder. All right, so I want you to understand something here. So, so we, just, um, we just went through this whole list of names I could not pronounce very well, right? These were the sons of Haman. You remember how we were talking about that, that Haman was very prideful? Do you know that every single one of these names, every single one of these ten names that has the word self in it, I or self is mentioned in, in every one of their names. That's how prideful the dude was. The, the, the first one, I'm not going to bother you with trying to say these again, says curious self. The next one, weeping self. Self-sufficient, self-indulgent, humble self. He even, he even named one of his kids to say that I'm more humble than the rest of you. 
Humble self is one of his kids' names. Self-assertive, self-ambition, I am bold, I am superior, I am self-righteous. That was his kids' names. Does that sound like a humble man to you? Every one of his kids' names, his ten sons, they all had self in their name. And what happened is that they, they annihilated them. Now, we're going to talk about that in just a second. We're going to talk about why that's important and what that means. That very day, the king was informed of the number of people killed in the fortress of Susa, and he called for Queen Esther. He said, the Jews have killed 500 men in the fortress of Susa alone, as well as Haman's ten sons. If they have done that here, what have they done in the rest of the provinces? But now, what more do you want? It will be granted to you. Tell me, and, and, and I will do it. Now, I want you to understand something. It's not really portrayed really well in here because we don't really pick up on Persian sarcasm a little bit. But, but here's what's going on. He's like, you know what? The king is kind of like of the position of, hey, they've already killed 500 men in Susa. That's pretty cool. What else are they capable of? He, he's self-righteous. He doesn't even really care about his people that much. He's like, he's like, hey, check it out. They've already killed 500 people. What? Man, what are these people capable of? I want to see them go. I want to see what they can do. He doesn't care about his people. He isn't upset about the fact that they killed 500. As a matter of fact, he goes to Esther and says, okay, what else do you want? I want to see what else y'all can do. This is pretty cool. He's like a spectator watching a gladiator fight, you know, and they're, they're duking it out and his dudes are losing. He doesn't care. It's a good fight. He just likes to watch it. He just likes to watch it. Esther responded, if it pleased the king, Give the Jews in Susa permission to do, it, to do again tomorrow what they have done today. And let the bodies of Haman's ten sons be impaled upon the pole. And the king agreed, and the decree was announced in Susa. And they impaled the bodies of Haman's ten sons. Then the Jews at Susa gathered together on March the 8th and killed 300 more men. And again, they took no plunder. What is the big deal about these sons of Haman? Do you remember... Haman was a son of Hamadetha, the Agagite, right? We've said that. Okay, everybody's like, I, I'm going to trust you on that one, Kenny. I don't really remember. It's in chapter 8 if you want to go back and look at it there. What's the big deal there? I want you to understand that God keeps his promises. When he says to do something, he means do it. And you're not supposed to question it. You're not supposed to go, well, I don't know if God really meant that or not. I don't know if God's really serious about it or not. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see something that happens here, and I want to kind of point it out to you a little bit. One day, Samuel, who was a prophet, said to King Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you king as, the, as his people, Israel. Now listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's army has declared. I have decided to settle the accounts of the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. Now God has said to King Saul through the prophet Samuel, go and, and wipe out the Amalekites. He's told them to do that. But Saul doesn't listen. Saul doesn't listen. Uh, as a matter of fact, Samuel comes back and, uh, and calls him out on it. He says, uh, when Samuel finally found Saul, he greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I have carried out the Lord's command. And Samuel, 
It's really hard to fool God. It's really hard to fool a prophet of God. Samuel says this. He says, and what is with all the bleeding sheep and goats and the, the, the cattle that I hear? He says, it's true that the army spared the best sheep, goats, and cattle, Saul admitted, but they're going to be sacrificed them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else. And Samuel said to Saul, stop, listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked? And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself, you are not the leader of the tribes of Israel. The Lord has appointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the, the sinners, the Amalekites, until they are all dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the, your plunder and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? So what happened was, Saul did not kill King Agog. He didn't, he didn't kill him. As a matter of fact, Samuel had to go and do it. This prophet of God ended up having to do it. And some of the people had been spared because Saul didn't do what God had said that he was supposed to do. And now, God's saying, we're going to make everything straight again. We're going to kill the descendants of, of Agog. Who are the descendants of Agog? Haman son of Amadetha, the Agagite. So what is God doing? God's fixing what Saul had messed up a long time ago when God had given him the instruction, and now these ten sons are being killed and put on a pole. Now, here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. God tells us to do things for a reason. God gives us instructions. He lays out a plan. He gives us steps of obedience that we're supposed to take. And if we don't take those steps of obedience, they can lead to a very devastating, a very difficult, a very trialsome future for us. And what if, what if Agog had been killed and the people had been killed, the Amalekites had been killed the way God said for them to be killed? Then we wouldn't even be dealing with this situation to begin with. We wouldn't even be dealing with it to begin with. So I know that you may think, well, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And I know that God may say this, but I'm not really sure that's exactly what God would want me to do. You don't know what kind of impact that could have for generations and generations and generations to come. This is why humility is so important. This is why acknowledging that we have to be humble before God and listen to God and what he says goes and nothing else matters. That's why it's so important. Isn't that what we see here? We see two things. We see God keeping his promises and taking out what he said, what he already told Saul to take out. He's taking it out. And then what do we also see? We also see him blessing those that are humble and him destroying those that are prideful. That's what we see. And that's what the book of Esther is all about. And we, we have heard it for nine weeks now. Nine weeks. And you know what we'll do? We'll, we'll, we'll say that we believe it in here. But when we go out those doors, God will give us an instruction. He'll give us something that we're supposed to do. Or maybe while you're sitting in one of these chairs right now and God's put something on your heart that you're supposed to do in obedience to him. And we'll just say, ah, that was just a fleeting thought. That wasn't something I was really supposed to do. That was just me talking and not God talking. And we'll blow it off. 
And we'll walk out and have no idea the implications that could have, not just for me, but for my family and for my kids' kids and for my kids' kids' kids. I'm telling you, when God says something, when he calls us to obey, and when you say that I am a Christ follower and I, have, I am dead to self, it is no longer I that live, but that Christ that lives within me, that's a serious commitment and it ain't no joke. And it ain't just about getting wet in some baptistry water. It's about everything inside of you dying to self. Now, I'll tell you this. There's a lot of people that don't come into this place because we teach that. They don't like to hear that. They don't like to hear that I got to do hard stuff in order to be a Christ follower. I thought all I had to do was come to church on Sundays. We don't teach that in here. I'm sorry, we don't. That's not what God's word teaches. That is not what I teach. When God says, take up your cross and follow me, that doesn't seem easy to me. Then why is it that we we think that in order to be a Christ follower, all we got to do is easy stuff? That's wrong. It's not right. It's messed up. If that's the way you think, then you've got the wrong kind of thinking. If you think that it's easy being a Christian, you're wrong. If your life is easy and you call yourself a Christian, you're likely not a Christian. I'm sorry, I can't sugarcoat it. I can't put it another way. It's just the truth. When you hear stuff, man, you're like, that seems hard. I'm sure when Samuel told Saul, go and kill everybody, this is what the Lord said. I'm sure it was hard for him to hear. And there's probably some side of him that wanted to keep some of the sheep and the cattle and the goats. They're like, man, it's, it's not, why don't we got to kill all this, man? It's good meat. We're going to sacrifice it to the Lord. No, that's not what God said. We make all these compromises in our life about, well, I'm going to do this, but not really do that. And, and God wants me to do this, but I'm not going to go all the way. I'm just going to do this little bit right here. Ananias and Sapphira died for that. They walked in to Peter and said, we've sold our land. Here's all the money. And Peter says, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit and said that you're giving everything and you're only giving a part and you're keeping a little bit for yourself? And he fell dead that instance. And Sapphira walks in a little bit later. The feet of the man who carried carried your husband out are standing at the door and they're waiting for you now because they're going to carry your body out too. You know why? You were only... Partially obedient. Partially obedient. You know why you were only partially obedient? Because it is one, one word that keeps you from being fully obedient. P-R-I-D-E. Pride keeps you from being fully obedient. I don't know how to tell you any other way. And Sapphira died that day because she had lied to the Holy Spirit. And Peter knew it, and Samuel knew it, when God had given him a dream and said, you know what? Saul didn't kill those people like I told him to. You can try to pretend like you're completely obedient. You can try to pretend like, man, I am sold out for Jesus. That's a very dangerous game to play because God knows the difference. God knows the difference. Am I trying to beat you up and browbeat you with God's word and say, man, you've got to obey God or something evil and awful is going to happen to you? It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give you the truth of God. I'm trying to give you the truth of what it means to be fully surrendered to Christ.
So God sets it right. Kind of wrap up things here for you. Meanwhile, the other Jews throughout the king's provinces, provinces and had gathered together to defend their lives. They gained relief from all their enemies, killing 75,000 of those who hated them. But they did not take any plunder. You know why they did not take any plunder? It says that three times. That must mean that it's really important, right? Like I said, okay, so they killed them because they were attacking them, but they didn't take any plunder. Even though the law said, the decree from the king of Persia was that, you know what? They, they, if they try to kill you and you kill them, you can take their stuff. That's what the decree said, but they didn't do that. Why? Why? Because way back in 1 Samuel chapter 15, that they were supposed to take out the Amalekites and kill all of their goats and sheep and cattle, and they're not supposed to take anything. They have an authority that is higher than the Persian king, and that is the authority of God, and they're doing what God has commanded to set things right, and now they're saying, I'm not taking the plunder because that's not what God wants me to do. That's not what God wants me to do. Sometimes we do things within the boundaries of the law that man has created, and it's not what God wants you to do. Am I right? We have lots of battles about what's legal and what's not legal. Don't we? Even in this country, we got, man, we got men debating about, well, this should be legal, and that should be legal, and this shouldn't, and that shouldn't. We should stay within the boundary. Is that legality? Absolutely. There are things that God calls you to do that may be legal that you should not partake in because God does not desire that for your life. And that's the law said they could, but they didn't because God had a higher law in their life, and they cared about what he thought and not what man thought. This was done throughout the provinces, and on March the 7th and on March the 8th, they rested and celebrated their victory on the day of feasting and gladness. And the Jews in Susa killed their enemies March 7th and again on March 8th and rested on the 9th, making, the day of, making that their, their day of feasting and gladness. So to this day, rural Jews in remote villages celebrate an annual festival and holiday on the appointed day in, in late winter when they rejoice and send gifts of food to each other. Now, the rest of Esther chapter 9, I'm not going to read to you, just basically says that this gets put into practice for the Jewish community. This becomes a tradition. This becomes something that they celebrate when they are set free. And they call it the festival of Purim. Purim. And you know what it says. You know what Purim means. It means to cast lots. It means, it means the lots that they cast. And what that represents is the fact that, that God is in control. They cast those lots saying that this is when the Jews will die. Remember that? When they cast lots to come up with this date of March the 7th to say this is when the Jews will die. And who did we say was in control of those lots that they cast? It's God, right? It's not just luck. It's not just happenstance. God was in control of everything, including those lots that they cast. So now they celebrate and rejoice in the lots that were cast. They were supposed to mean their destruction, but what it meant instead... It was the day that they were saved, and it was the day that they overcame their enemies. It is a remembrance of how good God is. It's a testimony of the fact that God is always in control, and because of that, they continue to celebrate it even to this day. The festival of Pura, the festival of the lots, the lots that were cast, it was supposed to mean their demise, but instead, it meant their victory. Do you remember another time in history when lots were cast? 
Do you remember the Roman soldiers casting lots to see who would get Jesus' clothes? Who, who would get his stuff? Like that was a big deal, right? Like that was a big deal. You know what we're reminded of? The God's in control of everything. And even on that day when they thought that they were casting lots and luck was coming up, luck was in their favor, right? Who was gonna, who's going to be the lucky one to get the clothes of Jesus? Who's, who's going to get his clothes? You know who the lucky ones really were? It's you and I. Those who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, and he was humiliated on that cross for you and I. He was stripped of his clothes. I believe he was stripped of his clothes because that was a way to humiliate him. They were trying to make him humble, right? That's what humiliate means, to make him humble. They were trying to humiliate him. But instead, the ones that got humiliated for all of eternity, the ones casting the lots. The ones casting the lots. And those who are humble today... And put their faith in Jesus Christ and acknowledge that there's nothing we can do to earn the righteousness of God. That we completely put our faith and trust in Him. We're the ones. We're the ones that are blessed and are rescued and are loved. But you can only do that if you're humble. If you wage war against that pride and you squelch that pride. Chapter 10 just wraps up this way. It says, King Xerxes imposed a tribute throughout his entire empire, even to the distant coastlines. His great achievements and full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted and recorded in the book of the history of the kings of uh, Media and Persia. Mordecai, the Jew, became the prime minister with his authorities next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. So Mordecai got to be an intercessor, right? He got to be somebody that spoke on behalf of those that were his people. Do you know that we have an intercessor? Do you know that we have someone who speaks on our behalf? His name is Jesus Christ. He's the one that, that they cast lots to steal his clothes and take his clothes as a souvenir. He's our intercessor. God says that we need somebody. We need somebody to become, become between us and him. You know why that is? It's because that we, we have this, this, this thing in ourself that, that, that could never be righteous. We, we have this terrible thing within us that constantly causes us to sin, and it's called pride. P-R-I-D-E, pride. And it strangles us. It gets a hold of us from the inside out and tears us apart. And it's completely against God. It's completely the opposite of what God desires for our life. You see, He wants us to be humble so we might be able to follow His plan and His path for our life. But when we don't do that, we reject Him and we're not obedient. What happens is, what happens is, it leads to our own destruction. It leads to our own destruction. Now, we may not see it immediately. We may not see it in the next 10 minutes. We may not see it like Ananias and Sapphira. We may not drop dead because we are disobedient to God right here at the altar. But that's not to say we couldn't. It's not possible that we could. It certainly could happen. But what it does mean is this, that there could be implications, ramifications, things that happen for generations and generations to come because we're disobedient to God.
Do you have pride in your life? Do you have things that God has spoken to you about today where he has challenged you, say, you've got some things you need to squelch in your life and it's separating you from me. It's separating you from my goodness. It's separating you from my glory. You're not able to tune into my voice because you've got too much pride. You've got too much jealousy, too much envy, too much anger, too much malice. You've got all these things that are separating you from, from me and my goodness. Will you come and sacrifice those things at this altar today? Will you come and say, I've had enough of me. I'm done with me. What I need is Jesus. Will you humble yourself today before him and acknowledge how desperately you need him? Father, thank you for this precious word. Thank you for your truth. God, how we need to hear it. It is not easy to hear, but nothing about your kingdom is easy. The easy comes when we've separated ourselves from this flesh, when we're standing in your presence, and we look into your eyes as you say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the only time the pressure is, is relented, Lord. It's at that moment. Lord, I pray that we recognize that taking up our cross and following you, Lord, it is not easy. And the difficult things you challenge us with every single day, the difficult things that you put on our hearts right now are exactly the things that we're supposed to do in obedience to you. So, Lord Jesus, call us to do the hard things. Call us to do the, the things that we don't want to do. Everything inside of us that is, is natural is the things that is against you. God, because the flesh does not desire to please you. We have to follow the Spirit, your Holy Spirit. So, God, right now, as we pray, as we sing, pray that you instill in our hearts, God, a, a, a desire to be obedient to you and to you alone, whatever that may be. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?